Welcome to Prajna Sparks, a podcast where we listen to a Dharma talk, contemplate with our minds and in our hearts, and engage in guided meditation. In this episode, we continue our journey through the six Mahayana Paramitas, taking a look at Shila, ethical discipline. Every single episode of Prajna Sparks takes hours to plan, record, and edit. We ask that you give us a bit of your time today. Subscribe, like, and review our podcast. Share it with those you think might benefit. Alongside your own practice, this is the best possible offering. You are giving the Dharma and helping us reach new listeners. Sheila, the second of the six Mahayana Paramitas, is often translated as ethical discipline or discipline, moral discipline, or just plain morality. The same word, Sheila, appears as one of the three trainings, Sheila, Samadhi, and Prajna, that the Buddha describes as comprising the wholeness of his teachings. In other words, ethical discipline, meditative stability, and precise knowledge. So Sheila is pretty important, and yet we often bristle at the idea of discipline. As a matter of fact, it's not the kindest of words in the English language. It can even mean punishment. And sometimes when we discipline ourselves, it can feel punishing. There are even various religious practices in different traditions where discipline is a physical injury that is meant to somehow override wrongdoing or other misconduct. This can tap into some dark places of the psyche where we put ourselves down or consider ourselves less than in some way. When we understand Sheila as the Buddha offers this practice to us, we can see that there's so much more to it. There isn't anything about punishing or harming. And yet, there is a sense of staying on track, being in alignment that resonates with that sense of correctness or propriety. It's a sense of integrity. I like the term integrity for this because integrity implies a wholeness. We're aligned with our own intrinsic wholeness, Buddha nature, the true nature of mind when we act ethically. Of course, there are many who say, well, I don't need any rules. I have a human conscience. I am a good person. I know how to behave. And that can be true. Nevertheless, when we're beginners, it's quite helpful to have a clear set of guidelines that help us make healing promises to ourselves. As I like to call this practice, it's a way of having a set of aspirations to which we hold ourselves. There's something magical about having a set of guidelines that hold us in integrity. Whenever we act in alignment with those, there's a spontaneous joy and contentment and ease that comes of it. Also, we may find that there are ways that we've been kidding ourselves or just not noticing that we've been sidestepping some of these ways to act in alignment with our wholeness. The practice of ethical discipline 
is one that works hand in hand with a sense of presence, awareness, and relationality. We can see in all our interactions, all our relationships, ways that we do act with integrity and ways that maybe we've overlooked things. What's more, the more we do it, the more subtle our understanding of our ethical conduct or not becomes. So let's take a look at some of these. The most basic outline for ethical conduct in the Buddhist tradition are what are called the five lay precepts. These are promises that we make to ourselves in order to heal from the damage that dualistic misperception causes to our minds. It's another of the many ways that Buddhist practice allows us to find our wholeness right in our very lives. It begins with respecting life. This is more than just not killing. It's also doing everything we can to protect and take care of others, be they human, animal, or otherwise. It's about walking softly on the earth so that we don't step on beings that we wouldn't see if we're not looking down, the bugs, the ants, the spiders. We can move mosquitoes and moths outside of our home if they're troublesome to us, rather than reflexively act out of the unconscious sense of my discomfort is more important than your very life, and so I will squash you. This respect for life can go very subtle and very deep so that we honor people in their birth and their life struggles as they age and become ill and as they die. It is a warm-hearted, full-throated love of life in every way we encounter it. The next is not taking what is not given. So this is respecting property, respecting boundaries, usually called not stealing, but you can see from that description that there's a lot more to it than that. It's not just physical property. It could be intellectual property, not taking information or writing or audio that someone else has put a lot of time and effort into creating and calling it our own. It also means not taking other people's time when it hasn't been given. If we make an appointment, as we talked about in the last episode, we arrive on time rather than taking time from the other's day to sit around waiting for us. We also, of course, honor physical property, not taking something that is not given to us and respecting the abundance that we encounter in our lives of privilege by honoring boundaries, boundaries to our sense of entitlement, boundaries in our communication, boundaries in our heartful engagement with life. This makes us such desirable companions and makes us want to be in community because we have nothing to fear. Next is respecting sexuality. This, again, is a practice of boundaries. You could say that most of the Shila Paramita at this level relates to respecting boundaries in our relationships with others. 
Here, of course, sexuality is an arena that is fraught with a great deal of potential harm, trauma, oppression, and pain. Rather than engage in sexuality in a way that resonates with those harmful ways of being for ourselves and others, we engage in sexuality appropriate to our lifestyle, be it a lay lifestyle, a monastic lifestyle, or an intermediate lifestyle of a celibate householder, or what have you, we engage in sexuality with the thorough respect and honoring that opening boundaries, physical, intimate, and emotional, between people deserves. Next is not speaking falsehoods. This, of course, relates to lying, being honest. It also is more expansive. Gossip, for example, might be true or not in a factual way, but it is rarely true to our heart, true to our nature, to be understanding and ready to receive the whole person with all of their many intricacies and complexities. We also want to speak with true sensitivity to the occasion and the person. The precepts regarding our use of speech extend beyond what is merely factually true or false and embrace all that is true to our nature to be caring, open-minded, and receptive to the Buddha nature in ourselves and others. The fifth precept relates to not taking intoxicating substances. This was one that came later in the Buddha's formulation, and it came about due to seeing the effect that alcohol, drugs, or other intoxicating substances can have on the ability of an individual to keep the first four precepts. So this is also about being true to our promises to ourselves in the form of the precepts. There are many other different ways to provide guidelines for our ethical conduct. There are the 10 virtues and non-virtues. There are the various rules of the Vinaya, which apply to monastic ordination. But the point of these guidelines are to give us strong structure, boundaries, within which we can determine how much we are already operating integrity with our true nature and how much we missed noticing that we might not be. The more we engage in ethical conduct in this way, the more we are able to plumb the depths of mind, not only with respect to external action, but our inner states of being. We find that there is great joy and sweetness in acting with ethical integrity. We find that our mind is naturally at ease and comfortable. Our meditation goes a lot easier without all kinds of difficulty riling up the mind and so forth. In other words, the more we practice with the guidelines of ethical discipline, the more we are in alignment with ethics, an ethics that anyone would recognize as wholesome, supportive, and kind. Eventually, we transform beyond someone who follows guidelines. 
our entire ethos, the environment of our being, our very manifestation in the world is one that aligns with Shila, with our own true nature and the nature of all things. This is where Shila Paramita meets Prajna, precise knowledge, right in our everyday lives. In other words, the ethos of all that we are is embraced by the precise knowledge of all there is to be, the very nature of our mind. This is Yeshe for Prajna Sparks. Stay tuned now for daily life contemplation tips and a guided meditation with Lama Zopa. Be sure to join us every month on the new and full moons for fresh episodes. Shivni is our Tibetan singing bow artist. Thanks for the generosity of giving us your time today to like, subscribe, share, and review Prajna Sparks. It really does help us to spread the gift of Dharma to new listeners. If you have any questions, contact us via email, Instagram, or Facebook. Check the episode notes for those links and for more resources on today's topic. Visit us on the web at prajnafire.com or follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Prajna Sparks. Thank you for listening. May all beings benefit. Hello, all you wondrous beings. Welcome to the contemplation for this episode on ethical discipline, Shila Sultrim. This is really something that we can just engage in throughout the days as we go about our lives. It's our way of processing the Dharma, of turning it over in our mind to see how it fits, to see how true it is for us to really start to dig in and work with it. It's such a large part of making the Dharma our own in a way that changes us for the better. Some of the ways that I invite you to contemplate could be like this. What comes up for me when I hear the term ethical discipline? Are there other translations or terms that help me get closer to the teaching's intended meaning? Maybe we're not sure what the actual intended meaning is. Maybe we stumble onto this sense of, oh, wow, I have a lot of resistance to this. Feels like I'm being told what to do. And that's not what the Buddha means. Perhaps our contemplation leads us down the road of digging further into the teachings to really get clearer for ourselves beyond our resistance, or beyond our assumptions about what is meant by ethical discipline and why it's so important. Other contemplations we can engage in might be, what is it like to see my days as an opportunity to ground myself in the discipline of ethical sensibility? How can I strengthen the power of this enthusiasm for grounding in a discipline that comes from inside, that recognizes the need for a rudder to guide me in this world, a rudder that's more reliable than my tempestuous passions, 
likes and dislikes that drag me around here and there and really aren't helping me get where I want to go? What happens when I approach each day in this grounded outlook that really supports me in knowing what to do and what not to do? These are just a few of the possible ways we can contemplate. I invite you to take whatever among them seems useful and helpful, true to you in the moment, and spend some time with them, mull them over, and see where they lead you. See what else comes up for you. Again, this is such a powerful, vital way of engaging with the teachings, really bringing them into our heart to see the wisdom in them, to see what's true for us, to see what they can teach us. For our meditation on ethical discipline, we'll begin, as we usually do, by grounding. Let's take our seats, spending a few moments just to notice our posture, our energetic presence in this moment allowing whatever is there to be there, but also not holding onto it or pushing things away, and using our sense of embodiment to come into the present moment, to claim our right to this presence here and now. Having grounded and allowed ourselves to let go of all the busyness of our days, our thoughts, let's further support this by engaging in a minute or two of shamatha, tranquility meditation, where we're training and resting mind one-pointedly, without distraction. This, of course, can sound intimidating. The more that we practice, the more naturally it comes. It is something that's innate, natural to us, and we're slowly getting back to it, slowly turning ourselves back in the direction of non-distraction and allowing all of the benefits of that to start to suffuse us by practicing in this way. So we can choose a meditation object to rest the mind on. This can be the breath, it can be a stone or small stick or something on your desk in front of you can be an imagined ball of brilliant white light in the center of your heart, whatever feels appropriate to you in this moment. We use that focal object of our meditation to anchor the mind so that we recognize whenever awareness slips away to a thought, a feeling, or settles too deeply into dullness, lethargy, lack of clarity. The point of the focal object is just to ground us and to help us recognize whenever we get distracted. And when we do recognize that, then we bring awareness gently, but also firmly back to the meditation object. Let's practice like that for a minute or two.
Now, as we turn to the meditation on ethical discipline, doing our best to maintain that uplifted, clear, yet steady state of mind that we were practicing in the tranquility meditation, one pivotal point here is to recognize ethical discipline as an interior-oriented way of approaching our life, others, and the world. It's a way to firmly establish ourselves in integrity, to find wholeness in our immediate behavior. If, on the other hand, we view ethical discipline as a set of rules coming at us from the outside, of course, there's going to be some resistance, whether a little or a lot, that comes up. So this can be a helpful point to start to feel into in our meditation. Of course, we can clarify exactly how we feel about that in our contemplations to see whether that's true for us or not. Turning awareness to the contemplation on ethical discipline, what does it feel like inside when we contemplate the practice of Shila? What does it feel like when we contemplate or imagine ourselves upholding the five precepts that Lama Yeshe spoke of? The precepts of respecting life, respecting others' property, respecting sexuality, adhering to the truth, and remaining clear-sighted without inebriation. Look inward and see what it feels like if we imagine ourselves upholding those precepts, or if we already have those precepts, turning our attention to focus on them. Perhaps we feel wonderful. This is great. Maybe we feel a little uncomfortable, or resistance, or guilt, perhaps. That could be a really big one that may come up for us. Just as in our analytical meditation on generosity, we may have mixed feelings. Whatever is coming up for you, give it space, open-hearted permission for exactly what you feel, whatever is there, and look into it with curiosity. If there is a positive, uplifted feeling, remain one-pointedly focused on the experience of that until it naturally subsides, and then again return to the contemplation of ethical discipline and the five precepts. If there is an unpleasant feeling, Welcome that as well, and inquire into just what it is trying to communicate. Whatever is there, stay in that sense of spacious allowance, not trying to drive it away or solve it 
or, or believing it to be you or yours. Just allow it to be there in the light of your attention, gently, lightly held. Now remember a time in life where you faced a difficult decision or the temptation to do something that you felt at some level wasn't right, but also that you really wanted. Can you feel the tension? Is there a sense of yearning to know what to do? Yearning to know what is actually going to produce benefit for you, to produce the happiness that you're looking for. Examine how it is that you make decisions in these tough circumstances. Be very open to your emotional and physical response as you imagine or remember the different ways of responding to this conundrum. What does your emotional response tell you? What does your physical response tell you? Anytime it feels like you're getting too drawn out or there's too much anxiety, too much agitation, simply return back to that grounded spacious awareness with the support of shamatha tranquility meditation. Finally, as you are engaging in this analytical meditation, finding the rudder of ethical discipline in whatever way feels true to you, give yourself the big spacious awareness that this choice is up to you, that this guidance from the Buddha is there to help us make wise decisions Ethical discipline is not about perfection. It is about allowing ourselves to be in process, giving ourselves a handhold and a direction when we are buffeted by the 
turbulent winds, always changing, of life and decisions. Ethical discipline can provide us with the grounding, the integrity to live in wholeness in our presence, in our awareness, and in our relations. Take a few moments just to settle in to whatever awareness there is of the importance of ethical discipline for you. Thank you for your practice and all that you do. Let's gather whatever goodness has come from this contemplation and meditation on Shila Sultrim, the ethical sensibility of discipline, and share it with all beings such that we may all know the genuine, true, spacious way to our inmost wish of happiness that is unceasing. 